What's up, everybody? You are listening to the Visitor's Bullpen presented by Pure Sports Network. This is Matt Wyrick and Kevin Haswell coming at you day after the World Series. Houston Astros are your World Series champions, uh, predicted by Sports Illustrated three years ago on that cover. George Springer is your MVP. Kevin, how are you doing today? Doing great. You know, another great World Series, uh, back-to-back years with uh, going to Game 7s and you know, it was really awesome to see some of the reactions of the Astros players after the one last night. Uh, most notably, Carlos Correa uh, proposing to his girlfriend after the game, kind of cool on the field. And then, you know, a player like Charlie Morton, who's dealt with injury problems his whole career, uh, finally gets a chance with the Astros and finishes out the game last night with three and two-thirds. Uh, he, he looked filthy on the mound. So, uh, great great to see the Astros win. Um, sad to see Clayton Kershaw another year without a championship, but... Man, this is what baseball is all about. I'm excited to dive into it. Yeah, I mean, it was a fun series. Obviously, Game 7 didn't really encapsulate that. It was, you know, Houston pulls ahead early, 5 nothing. Uh, Dodgers scratch across a run later in the game, but are never really able to get back into it. But, I mean, with how crazy this series has been, I mean, two walk-off games, um, one in extra innings, or two in extra innings, it, it's just... This has just been a crazy series, and it encapsulated a crazy uh, postseason overall. Um, so let's let's get into some of the specifics here. We'll start with George Springer, uh, who was the MVP. Um, had put together a great series at the plate. Had some diving plays in the outfield that were awesome. Um, also, but some not so awesome diving plays. In yes, the I mean he he definitely had you know some ups and downs there. But overall, hits three seventy nine um, in the series. Had five home runs, which I believe tied a record. Five uh, home runs in six games. Yeah, I mean... Because the first game, he was over four with four strikeouts. And people were saying, you know, can he turn it around? Remember that first game, Chris Taylor led off the game with a, a home run, and people were saying, you know, ooh, who's the better leadoff hitter in this series? Is it Taylor or is it yeah. um, uh, Springer? And we look at the end, Chris Taylor finishes the series uh, trying to find his numbers here, 222, um, only had that one home run. So after that, um, only had two extra base hits the whole rest of the series. So he kind of cooled off there. Um, Springer obviously is hoisting the trophy in an MVP award. So, um, he clearly won that battle, but I think, you know, having that spark plug at the beginning of their offense was huge. Houston had the best offense in baseball all season, and that was really their big strength. And with Altuve kind of struggling, hit 194 in the series, Correa had a good series, but actually injured his thumb in game two. Um, during the walk-off celebration, had to get a few shots in it. Uh, still hit pretty well, but not you know vintage Correa. Bregman obviously came up in the clutch, but wasn't really a consistent hitter, only hitting two thirty-three. Um, and Marwin Gonzalez, while he hit only two oh eight, had some clutch hits, um, three extra base hits in the series, four RBIs. So um, I think or two RBIs, sorry, good series for him and Ulyeski Guriel, obviously. So the batting averages weren't really there. Um, but when you dive deeper into the numbers, this is a deep lineup that did hit pretty well, even with um, how Jose Altuve struggling like he did. But even even so, he had four extra base hits, two homers, two doubles, uh, six RBIs in the series, four runs scored. So I can't really argue and say like Altuve was bad necessarily. It just wasn't you know what we're accustomed to seeing from him. Um, but I mean Springer was the spark plug of that offense, and everyone just kind of fueled off of that. Yeah, you know I, when you really look at the numbers. Uh, Astros hit 15 home runs, and the, and the story of this series was really that Astros lineup putting pressure on the Dodgers starters early in every game, forcing Dave Roberts to get into his bullpen, 
uh, outside of a game or two. They had to go to their bullpen early, tired out some guys like Brandon Morrow. Seemed like he pitched in every game. Um, so He did you know, all but one the entire postseason. Exactly. So, you know, that. I mean, even if he's a great reliever, you can't have him come in every single game. These guys need rest. And credit to the Astros. They put pressure on the Dodgers throughout the series. Um, and they the Dodgers didn't get to use Kenley Jansen like they wanted to. They No one wants to put Kenley Jansen out there for six outs twice in a series. It's not what you want to do. The guy's going to get tired. And, you know, the Astros, 15 home runs. You're going to win most series when you hit that many home runs. Yeah, I mean, Dodgers had some great pitching and they had some bad pitching. Uh, highlight for them, Kenta Maeda. Coming out of the bullpen, didn't start any games, but had four appearances. Didn't give, only gave up uh, one earned run. That's a one five nine ERA. Um, uh, didn't strike out as many guys, but was really effective. Um, was a major asset for them. Alex Wood as well got one start and came in relief um, yesterday. Had a great series. Tony Watson five five appearances, no runs allowed. But then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you know Clayton Kershaw had a four zero two ERA. Had that abysmal start um, in Game Six. Uh, so it wasn't really what we were expecting out of him. Obviously, you know, that narrative with Kershaw has got, of struggling the playoffs has gone back and forth. I think, you know, early in his career, yeah, there were some major struggles, but it looked like he was starting to pick it up this, this postseason, was having a pretty good um, run there, but then kind of hit a wall in the World Series here. I don't think he's really as effective off of short rest as maybe some other guys are, um, and we saw that here. So that was a big concern for me, at least moving forward with Kershaw is, you know, how much can you really depend on him, and should they start resting him more in the regular season? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting question uh, you bring about. But you know the way he pitched last night, it really begs the question: Should they have gone to Kershaw in Game Seven? Uh, I know he was on three days rest after throwing what ninety four pitches. It, it's a touchy situation. Uh, you Darvish didn't pitch well. It's, it's hindsight's twenty twenty here. Uh, if you would have known, obviously, if you Darvish was going to go out there and give up five runs, then you wouldn't have put him out there you know, in the first that, place. That but, does, with Darvish, though, you know, okay, so there's the, that report comes out, right, that uh, Sports Illustrated saying the balls are slicker in the World Series. Yep. Uh, and they're saying, you know, players are noticing the difference. Darvish himself came out and said, I couldn't get a grip on my slider. Darvish feasts off the slider in his career, right? And he had that horrible start before. And obviously, he's one of your go-to guys, you know, and he's your number two starter. You want to be able to send him out there for a game like this. But after, you know, after he comes out and says, you know, I couldn't get a good grip on my slider, you know, maybe, I don't know. I don't know if I would have started him in this game because with, with the well-documented um, struggles there and his comments and everything, and you just look at how bad he was. He only got through, what, I think it was two innings the first time and two innings the second. He gave up, gave up eight earned runs and three and a third innings. Yeah. I mean, that's not going to win you any games. I, I don't know. I don't think I can justify setting him out for a game seven after a start like that. You know, you, you, you talk about how he's a good pitcher um, and you don't, you know, in statistics, you don't, you know, rely on what happened last to infer what's going to happen next. But at the same time, with this other factor of the balls coming into play, I think that, you know, you could have looked to some other guys like Alex Wood could have gotten a start there. Um, you could have thrown Kentameda out for an inning or two to get the game started. Yeah, you know, Alex Wood looked really good in this series. Seven and two-thirds, only gave up one run, uh, six strikeouts. So he's definitely, and he was only giving up a base runner once every three innings. So he's definitely a guy they could have looked towards. Uh, there was actually a report that came out this weekend, or this morning that uh, Hugh Darvish was actually giving the Astros what pitches he was throwing based on his forearm. Uh, he was actually just putting his hand in his glove on fastballs 
and he was rotating his forearm when he was throwing sliders. So the Astros almost knew what pitch were, pitches were coming yesterday, and, and that really begs the question whether uh, that has to do with the ball being slippery. Maybe it's it's tougher to get the grip in the glove. Uh, maybe maybe he needs to change that up, but that's that's huge. I mean, in a, in a game seven of a World Series, you can't be tipping pitches to the other team. So, uh, yeah, I, I think someone needs to look into these balls being slipperier or slip more slippery than uh, last year. It's just concerning because if every player agrees, then there's got to be something. There's got to be something up with the balls, and, and it's affecting the, the play of the game. Yeah, when it really boils down to it. I think you Darvish lost this World Series for the Dodgers. Um, there were some questionable things Dave Roberts did. I think Dave Roberts is a great manager um, and absolutely you know, knows um, how to manage his bullpen. However, I felt like he was sticking with his starters a little bit too long. Um, Darvish, in that first game he pitched, uh, game three, he totally should have been taken out like five, six batters before he actually was. Um, and honestly, in a game seven, with the way he was pitching, I probably would have pulled him in the first inning. Uh, it's just after giving up those consecutive hits to start the game, I think the Astros scored two runs before an out was even recorded. Yep. I'm, honestly, I might have pulled Darvish right there because you don't want to go into your bullpen just then. But, you know, it's a game seven of the World Series. You're not going to play tomorrow. You're not going to play the rest of the, until next year. You know, if you got to bring in another guy, uh, you know, you can't be worried about how that rest is going to play out, like, you know, how they're feeling because this is, this is a win or go home. Yeah, I and. Mean- I mean, I don't know. like we talked about earlier, they probably could have gone with Kershaw in this game. Uh, don't know if he could have gone deep into the game, maybe five or six innings. But still, when you take him out with zero outs in the first and they're down 2 nothing, maybe you put in Clayton Kershaw, he can still give you five innings. There's other starters out here. Kenta Maeda was a starter this year. He could have given some innings. Like you said, Alex Wood pitched terrifically in the series, but they didn't give him enough innings. So, you know, there were other options other than other than you, Darvish, and when it really, when it really boils down to the numbers, you Darvish cost them the series. Yeah, and I mean, the Dodgers came into this series with their bullpen being their strength. You know, that was that was what they relied on to win games more so than their offense, more so than their starting rotation. Their starting rotation was a great asset to this team, but that bullpen with Alex Wood, with Tony Watson, with uh, you've got Brandon Morrow. I mean, plus you're now throwing in guys like Kenta Maeda and Alex Wood into that mix who are good starters already. I mean, and Kenley Jansen, of course. You know, if you throw all those into a bin, that's a very deep bullpen and the one that the Astros can't match. So while, yes, like if maybe you get into the later extra innings, you might be in a bit of a worse spot, but you can't be thinking about that. You got to be thinking about keeping this game manageable in the first inning. And with you, Darvish, already allowing two runs right off the bat, I don't know. I don't think, I think you go to your strength. You go to that bullpen and say like, are you, we're going to have to lean on you a little bit more today, but you know, that's the situation we're in. And I think uh, that the Dodgers just decided, you know, we'll try and see if we can get a couple innings out of Darvish, you know, to make things easier. But that might have just cost them the game. Yeah, the see, no, I understand your argument with going to the bullpen early or going to the bullpen early in game seven. But I don't think you – I know the bullpen didn't pitch as well as they pitched during the regular season or even earlier in this postseason. But I don't think you can put the blame strictly on the bullpen – it, it was more of a lack of the starters getting the innings they needed to get in order to set up the bullpen. And I think that goes back to Dave Roberts. I think he pulled guys a little too early in this series. Uh, you know, Rich Hill earlier in the series uh, was pitching really well, only gave up a run, um, and they took him out in the fourth inning. Mm-hmm. I mean, leave the guy in at least to get five innings, and then you can you can move on. 
Um, I think he was relying a little too much on the analytics of it. And at some point, you got you got to just use your eyes and, and look at the guy on the mound. He's pitching well. Why take him out and put a put a strain on your bullpen? And that and that's what they did in this series. They put too much of a strain on a great bullpen. And no matter how good of a bullpen they have, if you have those guys out there for too many innings, it's not going to end up well. Yeah, I hear you. On the other side of things, though, what I liked about this World Series, you know, there was only one player um, in the entire series who uh, played here, played, I was on the 25-man rosters, that had won a World Series before this year, and that was Chase Utley on the Dodgers. Nobody else had ever won a World Series. And you look at the Astros roster, and there are some guys that, you know, like, they put in that work, they been in World Series before and lost, and they kind of finally get that title. Carlos Beltran and Justin Verlander are the two guys that come to mind for me. I think, you know, Justin Verlander, Hall of Fame career. Um, yeah, well, you know, that's a, a whole other debate. Um, he obviously had one of the best peaks in modern MLB history, but, you know. Had we'll to talk about him. that next week. <laughs> we'll get into that for sure. But um, between him and Carlos Beltran, who's another fringe Hall of Famer, we could have a whole thing about him too. I mean, two guys that have put in the work with the league are veterans, you know, have let their team leaders uh, for Houston, and for them to get that World Series ring, I think, you know, it kind of puts a cap on those careers, and um, I, I'm really just happy for them. I think it's a great achievement, something that everybody strives to do, and there's a lot of great players who never get that honor. Um, you just look at the entire Dodgers roster besides Chase Utley, and there's a lot of great players who deserve it, but at the same time, I think Verlander and Beltran are two, you know, model cases for that. Yeah, it's awesome, especially with baseball, it it's one of the toughest sports to win a World Series or win a title in. Uh, comparing to basketball, you can kind of just join a dream team uh, and and win a title. But Durant, yeah, Durant. <laughs> so I mean, it's great to see guys like Justin Verlander. You know, he's been to the World Series, but he's never won a World Series. So Justin Verlander, another name that comes to mind for me is Brian McCann. They interviewed him after the game, and the dude was almost in tears. It was he he. All the players talked about how. Since they've grown up playing baseball, this is what they've done it for, to one day win a World Series. Um, and it's definitely awesome to see because some of these guys are towards the tail end of their career, like you said with Beltran, Verlander, and McCann. So definitely awesome to see, and it's why baseball is so great. Yeah, I mean, there's also, I mean, I compare this team to the Cubs last year. This is a team that's young and is built to contend for a long time. I mean, Kevin, we were talking about it before the show. But what, they have two guys hitting for agency after this year is Gregerson and who was the other guy? Beltron. And Beltron. So they're bringing basically back their entire core, which they got to be, you know, look at the Cubs as a test case here and see that, you know, like Cubs struggled, especially first half. Um, they weren't even in a playoff spot uh, at the All-Star break. So they definitely have to, can't have that World Series hangover next year. But this is a young team, one that's built to contend for a few years, uh, same as the Cubs are. Um, I, I think the Cubs are going to have a great year next year. But um, the, the, between the two of them, I mean, it shows that tanking works and that, you know, bringing up this young core together has paid huge dividends for them. I mean, these guys know nothing but playing with each other. That middle infield combination of Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa with George Springer behind them. I mean, you look just right up the middle right there. That's one of the greatest cores in this sport. And I think it, it means a lot to, you know, come up with a group of players and to finally reach the promised land like they did. And... I don't know, it's going to, I think they're going to be good for a long time. I don't think this is, you know, a one-hit wonder kind of team. You know, when the Mets made the World Series a few years back, it just kind of seemed like, you know, everything came together for them. 
and that players were having career years, that uh, rotation was great, had a strong injury history, but, you know, all three of them, Syndergaard, um, DeGrom, and Harvey, they didn't win the World Series. I know, they made it to the World Series. And um, when they, you know, when they got all the way there, people were saying, like, oh, this is a team that's going to be, like, with this young rotation, they're going to be great. Jonas Cespedes um, was traded in a big part of that offense. Lucas Duda was coming along. Travis Darnot had a promising future. But at the same time, with how many, with that injury history, you could see that it was teetering and has fallen off. I don't think that the Astros are like that. I think they have a young core um, that is really suited to contend for a long time, and I think they have a really bright future. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they have a, a young core. And like you talked about, um, we talked about this before the show. I actually saw Matt tweet it today. It's about like the last two teams that won the World Series, the Cubs and the Astros. Both tanking teams uh, definitely took some years. For instance, the Astros, when that Sports Illustrated article came out, that was following three straight seasons in which they lost 100-plus games. And then, you know, Sports Illustrated, I, I have to give them a shout-out on this podcast because that was pretty cool that they, they should spring on the cover. Uh, Sports Illustrated 2017 World Series champs and what happens, they win the 2017 World Series. So that's awesome. But, yeah, the you red. Know, it, you see the Reds' tweet uh, Twitter account. I did not. They they tweeted at uh, Sports Illustrated this or last night and said, "Hey, you got any more of those SI covers?" <laughs> that, that's kind of awesome. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty funny because you know they have a, a top number one pick last year and they have a top pick for next year too. So you know we could be seeing a team like the Reds. They actually saw an ESPN interview with the guy who wrote that Sports Illustrated article and they said, "All right, you're pretty good at predicting three years out." Um, obviously, it was before the World Series, so the Astros were in it at the time and hadn't won yet. But um, they were like, you're pretty good at predicting, you know, teams winning it all three years out. Who do you got in 2020? And his prediction was the Yankees uh, with how young a core. He's like, I'm sorry to all the rebuilding teams right now, but with how young this team is and how up and coming they are, it's going to be the Yankees winning the 2020 World Series. So we'll have to wait three years to find out if he's right. But um, I think that's pretty funny. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I mean, the point I was trying to get to was that you know, we're in a new age of baseball. Teams will give up three or four seasons with the chance of rebuilding uh, a really dynamic roster like the Astros have done, um, especially, and, and, you know, the Cubs. You know, they both set themselves up for great futures with their young farm system and, and the young players they have in their life that won't hit free agency for a while. It, it's awesome, and uh, I'm hoping my Phillies can do the same. So. Yeah, well... I think that, you know, this was an exciting postseason. There was a lot of great storylines going on. There were some teams that kind of surprised everybody in the Twins and the Diamondbacks um, that we got to see. There were a lot uh, some small market teams that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily have, you know, be on that big stage all the time. Plus, there were the usual suspects in the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, um, the Cubs. So I think there was a good balance of that. It was an awesome um, playoff run for everybody involved, obviously, you know. My Nats didn't come out on top, and I thought there was a lot more in the tank for them. Overall, I, I was, you know, it was a lot of fun to watch. Sometimes in years past, when the Nats would lose, I'd kind of tune out of the uh, playoffs just because I was so depressed that they didn't make it. But I'm really glad that I stayed in and watched everything this year because there was just so much exciting baseball. Yeah, it's awesome, and uh, I know we're going to talk about the offseason a little bit, but that's like that's that's awesome that right after the World Series we can dive into the offseason winter meetings. It's going to be awesome. I'm excited. And let's get on with it. Yeah. So now we'll go ahead and start looking toward the offseason. We've got a ton of offseason storylines um, that nobody's really talking about yet. Obviously, this league just ended. But we're going to go ahead and look at this free agency class, which 
it's understandably weak uh, with how big next year's free agent class is going to be. Uh, this year's has not really the star power that uh, we're going to be seeing next year, but um, there are some big names in there. So I posed this question to Kevin prior to the show. Who is the biggest, um, who's going to be the most sought after free agent? We'll look at pitchers and hitters. We'll start with the offensive side of things. Kevin, who is your pick? I think it's it's got to be Mike Moustakis. I mean, he's proven he plays a valuable position at third base. Uh, this year he had 38 home runs, 85 RBIs, 835 OPS. I don't know how, how much the Royals are going to go after him. Uh, might be a lack of that. Um, I think... I think he can earn easily over $100 million in the free agent market, especially with the position he plays, with the power he showed at the plate. But he's also kind of a wild card because he only hit uh, the injuries. With He only hit seven home runs in 2016, and he's never hit over 30 except this year where he hit 38. So, I mean, I really like what I've seen on Moustakis, uh, but we'll, we'll see what he gets. I think he's definitely the top hitter in the market. Matt, what do you think? Honestly, I don't even think that Moustakis is the best free agent on his team. I mean, it's been well documented that the Royals were kind of in their last run with the two players that made it to the World Series. Um, and that includes Moustakis, but that also includes Eric Hosmer and Lorenzo Cain. And I think Hosmer is easily uh, the best player in that class. He really elevated his game this year, posting career highs in batting average and OPS. Uh, hit 25 homers, which matches career high from last year. Uh, 31 doubles. So he had a great season. Uh, really, really good first baseman. He's only 27 years old, um, which uh, you know is a lot of value. There aren't as many first bases. Kind of, it's been fluctuating over the past few years as to you know where the power lies in the offense. I think it kind of switched over to the third. Um, there's also some really good second basemen. Um, obviously, corner outfielders are always going to be. You know some of the best players in the league, but first base was traditionally you know like the the premier spot for your best hitter. But it's kind of drifted away from that. But I think Eric Hosmer encapsulates that. I think he's a lefty, um, was one of the best hitters um, in all of baseball this year. I think he's you know kind of was underlooked uh, in the MVP conversation simply because he wasn't on a contending team. But I think he could finish top five if things go right for him. He already has three Gold Gloves, um, might win a Silver Slugger this year. So. I think that you know Eric Hosmer is going to be commanding the most money, and it's going to be tough to see what the Royals do. I think they're going to get at least one of these three guys back. I have find it hard to believe they stick with Kane with how he's declined over the past few years. But Hosmer and Musaka should be their number one and number two priorities. And I think that you know at the end of the day, I think Hosmer is going to command the most money. However, now that we're off the topic of the Royals, I don't think that either of them are going to be the biggest free agent. I think that's going to be J.D. Martinez, who's 30 years old right now. Um, will just finished up his age 29 season. So I think he's going to be commanding about a five-year deal, could get upwards of you know, $100, $120 million. Um, and I think he's going to be the premier hitter. Every time he changes teams, he seems to be a better player. Um, obviously struggled in Houston as a young player, then went to Detroit and elevated his game, had a great couple of years, was traded to Arizona, and had an insane second half, 29 home runs in 62 games. Uh, for the Diamondbacks, just absolutely crazy. So, Do you I think, think the Diamondbacks can resign. I don't think the Diamondbacks are going to be able to resign him. I think that there is an issue with his defense um, as an outfielder. So I do think he stays American League. Um, uh, you know, obviously he's thirty years old. If he signs a five-year deal, that will bring him to his age thirty-five season. Um, but I think honestly, a good comp is Jason Worth. 
um, from when he signed his deal with the Nats back in 2011. He got a seven-year, $129 million deal. And I think that could be around the range that we're going to see from him because um, that brought um, worth into his age 37 season, which if he if uh, Martinez were to sign a deal now that would do this, a seven-year deal now that would do the same. Um, obviously, he hasn't won a World Series like um, Worth did, but he has played in one uh, with the Tigers. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of deal he gets this offseason, but I think he's going to be the most highly sought after free agent. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I understand why you went with why you went with JD Martinez. He's really good down the stretch. Uh, he's been good over the last couple of seasons. For him, uh, he also needs to stay healthy a little bit. It's gotten hurt each of the last two or three seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the pitcher, we're going to jump over to pitchers now. Pitcher I really look at is Alex Cobb. I'm just messing with you. I, it's not Alex Cobb. <laughs> um, I do like Cobb, it actually. Is, it is actually you, Darvish. Uh, after, I know people are going to be like, oh, he didn't pitch well in the World Series. But still a great pitcher. Uh, last year, he posted a 7-5 record with a 3.41 ERA with 132 strikeouts and 100 innings. This year, between Texas and L.A., 10-12 and record with a 3.86 ERA with 209 strikeouts and 186 and two-thirds innings. So, definitely valuable. Um, he's still got some years left with him. Uh, he's only 31 years old. So, I, I really like what I've seen from you, Darvish, over the last couple of seasons. I think he'll demand a lot of money, uh, and we'll, we'll see. I mean, they'll be – pitching is always something that every team needs, so we'll, we'll see who ends up going after you, Darvish. Yeah, I mean, Darvish is a right-hander, um, has you know an established track record, four-time All-Star, finished top 10 in the Cy Young twice, um, and his strikeout numbers are through the roof. I mean, his career K per nine is 11, 11 strikeouts per nine innings, which is just absolutely crazy. Um, so especially you, for a starter. Oh yeah, I mean, you look at he's honestly, the the Texas Rangers have had some good pitching in their history, and I think Darvish, um, and considering pitchers who pitched in a four year span, is one of the better pitchers they've had. Obviously, he missed all of 2015 with injury, but uh, his strikeout numbers are there, and he's um, given them um, some bright hope. Uh, especially that 2013 year it was his age 26 season. He had a 2.83 ERA. Um, 11.9 K per nine, 200 led the league all of baseball with the 277 strikeouts. So you know the talent's there. Um, obviously, you're a little concerned about how he pitched in the World Series, but at the same time, you know nobody's going to really hold against him. You know that that kind of slight dip in his performance over two starts. I mean, anyone's going to have you know a rough patch every now and then. It just so happened that Darvish was in the World Series, but and you might even attribute it to those balls. You never know. So I think that he's definitely up there as one of the better pitchers. Um, what I do think hurts him is that he's a right-hander, um, but there aren't really a lot of lefties on the market, so you know teams are going to have to work with uh, what they get. But I think the biggest free agent pitcher-wise is going to be Jake Arrieta, uh, former Cy Young winner, obviously had the down year. Uh, well, not even a down year, just more of you know not really by his Cy Young standards. 2015 had a 177 ERA. This year was a 353, um, and also didn't pitch as many innings. But I think that you know, with his established track record, he's only a year older than Darvish is right now. Um, he's going to be commanding a lot of money. I think that, uh, especially working in the National League, he could go over the American League and get you know like a new look. Um, and everybody, while Darvish, you know, already switched over to the NL for the playoffs. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. I think you're right. I think 
Darvish is going to be up there, and he might command more than Arietta, but I think Arietta has an established track record, and um, with uh, his with Joe Bo- or, um, Scott Boris being his agent, um, that's going to come into play for sure. So we'll see what comes out of it, but I think that you know Boris is really good at shopping his clients, and uh, Jake Arietta is going to be up there as one of the most highly sought after free agents. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm looking at Jake Arietta. I know he won the Cy Young uh, in 2015, but Earlier in his career, he, he was really, really bad for the Orioles. Uh, I mean, in 2010, 4.66 ERA, 5.05 in 2011. And even through all of that, he's got a career ERA at 3.57. That just shows the consistency since 2013. He's had an ERA plus over 100 since 2013, with his highest coming in 2015 when he won the Cy Young uh, with a 215 ERA plus. So, you know, I I – Kind of agree with you now that I've really dove into the numbers a little bit. I think Darvish has a chance to maybe get a little more money considering he's a year younger mm-hmm. than Arietta. But, you know, at the end of the day, both these players are going to demand a lot of money on the market. And it'll be very interesting to see. You know, I, I don't know. Matt, do you think the Cubs go after Arietta or they, you think they let him walk? Uh, I don't know. I think the Cubs like Mike Montgomery a lot um, and think that he's going to progress in his career. So I can see them trying to stay in-house. Maybe go after um, a veteran free agent. I could see, honestly, CeCe Sabathia being a candidate the Cubs look at to fill that number five spot because um, they have a lot of money, uh, positional flexibility, where they could sign a veteran free agent for a lot of money. But um, I think that, you know, Arietta is going to command a lot. And while um, the Cubs have the money, they already have a lot of money tied into Lester, who's on the wrong side of 30, um, they're going to have Kyle Hendricks approaching free agency in a few years, and he's honestly been progressing um, more so than Arietta. Arietta obviously had the great peak um, in 2015, but has kind of declined since then. I think it'd be a safer bet to save up for Hendricks um, and you know look down the line. So, and you know Lackey's old too. I don't think that they're going to be handing Arietta the kind of money he's looking for, especially with Scott Boris as his um, agent. So. I don't really see them going after him. Honestly, I could see them going after Darvish, which, you know, you're thinking, okay, why would they throw money at Darvish, not Arietta? Well, Darvish has better strikeout numbers, um, has more off-speed pitches. I think that uh, Arietta kind of relies on pounding the zone um, with this fastball, which Darvish is more of an off-speed kind of guy. So it'll be interesting to see. You know, that's something you look at when you're looking at pitchers who will be progressing um, how they'll progress over, you know, the, when they're on the wrong side of 30. You know, how you have to look at when the Nats signed Max Scherzer, they had to look at, all right, how is Scherzer going to be pitching when he's 35, 36, 37 years old? That's the same thing you got to do here. If you rely on those fastballs all the time, you know, once your velocity starts to dip as you get older, you know, that starts to become a concern. The pitcher has to adjust. If you have a pitcher who already relies more on off-speed pitches in general and location, which is something Darvish is much better at, Arietta is more of a ground ball kind of guy, inducing weak contact. Darvish is, goes for those swings and misses. Um, I think that Darvish might have better long-term value, um, and that might be something the Cubs look at. Yeah, I, I mean, you can't go wrong with either of these pitchers. They both they both had, uh, I mean, Darvish not as much as Arietta uh, had good years this year. But, you know, I, I'm going to be interested to see what the Cubs do this offseason because losing Arietta is not easy. Uh, Lester is getting older and older by uh, year by year, so... Uh, it, it will definitely be an interesting offseason. I'm I'm very excited to see where some of these free agents uh, end up because that's always fun no matter what the sport. So 
that that will be interesting. But the the free agent class that really has my eyes next year. I know with Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, um, th- those two guys alone make the free agent class, and I'm excited to see where those guys end up because you know the Phillies have a lot of money to spend, and <laughs> so will the Nats. And those two players will be de- demanding a lot of money, so I'm I'm excited. Yeah, I think that you know that that free agent. I think everybody's kind of looking toward that free agency class, and not a lot of teams are going to want to hand out a lot of big money contracts. I think this is going to be a buyer's market um, for teams this year. Uh, players are, might be struggling to get the kind of money that they're looking for uh, simply because teams are like, you know, why would I spend all this money on this year when all these great players are coming next year and I might win a sweet states or two for some of those guys. So I don't expect a huge amount of money to be tossed around. Um, we've kind of, the past two off seasons really haven't been that spectacular. Um, beside, there were a bunch of trades um, two off seasons ago um, when the Diamondbacks and Padres were making a lot of waves. Um, but as, as far as signing big free agents, there hasn't really been, you know, those big money deals as much as we've seen. So it'll be interesting to see how this kind of offseason plays out because it's not, you know, the star power isn't there. There's Todd Frazier, um, a lot of older guys um, coming out. You know, Escobar's 35, but, you know, he's been good the past few years. Beltron's 40. You're not even sure if he's going to be playing anymore. Napoli, um, a couple of guys like that. So I don't expect for there to be, you know, a lot of money being thrown around, but, as far as the top of the free agency class is, uh, it'll be cool. There's also, you know, you have to consider opt-outs. Two guys that might take their opt-outs after this year, Justin Upton, uh, who got traded to the Angels. Uh, he could very well take his off his opt-out and Masahiro Tanaka um, with the Yankees. So it'll be, you know, that's definitely something to keep an eye on as well. Um, we don't know if they're going to be sticking with their teams for now. It seems like Justin Upton's leaning toward um, taking that opt-out while Tanaka is kind of on the fence about it. So I think there's a lot of reason to stay in New York for him, but you know that's obviously his decision how much money he wants to make. But I think that uh, that's definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah, definitely. And and I just want to jump into the next topic. So which Matt, which team do you think has the most to fix going into the next season? Which postseason team? Uh, you know, I never bought into the Red Sox all year, um, and they were just kind of a team that you know, it seemed like they had. The star players, but we're struggling to put it all together. Obviously, they're kind of tied down with Hanley Ramirez's contract, um, which he he isn't the kind of guy that they're paying him to be. But uh, with David Price struggling, you know, he's getting paid $30 million a year, right? He almost got put into the bullpen at the end of last year. This rotation scares me. You know, they've got Rick Porcello, who obviously uh, declined after his last year, Um uh, his Cy Young winning year the year before. You had Drew Pomeranz, who's definitely a solid reliever, but I wouldn't say is anything better than you know a low number two, high number three. Um, Doug Fister's a free agent, so he's gone. Um, and then there's Chris Sale. I think beyond Chris Sale, there's a lot of question marks in that rotation. And with how good the Yankees were down the stretch and in the playoffs, I'd be very concerned about what they're going to be doing next year. You've got um, the Rays, who are kind of an up-and-coming team, Definitely need to get like a hitter or two in there. I think they could go after Eric Hosmer if um, you know they can dole up the money. Um, I think he would be a great fit for them um, in Tampa Bay. But what about Logan Morrison? I think Logan Morrison can play corner outfielder or DH. Um, Corey Dickerson should go back to that outfield, and you know you can DH left Logan Morrison. Left field, yeah. Exactly. Um, th- that's what the DH does. It gives you a lot of flexibility. I love Logan Morrison. I think he's a great hitter. Um, but you know. 
I don't think his, his contract goes for another two years and he's gone, you know, lock up Hosmer long term. And they don't really have Evan Longoria is that offensive centerpiece, which he's good, but he's not that good. I think Eric Hosmer Definitely can put them over the edge. Decline. Exactly. I think Eric Hosmer can put them over the edge. Corey Dickerson had a great first half and really cooled off in the second half. If he can keep the offense going, I think that team can be really good. But going back to the Red Sox, I mean, their bullpen, beyond Craig Kimbrell, really nobody of note um, that you're like blown away by. Um, they had Addison Reed, but he's now a free agent. Um, so, and then there's the offense, which, like we've talked about before, really doesn't hit for a lot of power. So I think, honestly, they're missing a key starter, they're missing a setup man, and they're missing um, a big bat in the middle of that lineup. And those are three glaring knees in all three of their biggest facets of the game that, you know, need, really need to be addressed if they want to go anywhere deep in the postseason because stars are really what what give you deep in the postseason. You see that with um, uh, Justin Turner on the Dodgers. You saw it with George Springer on the, the Astros. You need you know that star to really carry your offense. You need that star to carry your pitching staff. And you need that star to go to in the bullpen. And besides Craig Kimbrell, they really didn't have anyone to rely on. After Chris Sale, there was a lot of question marks in that rotation. You don't know what you're going to get out of David Price. So I think that, that while the Red Sox have a lot of money um, tied up to a lot of players and they don't have as many players hitting free agency as some other teams, I think that with the core they have, they're in trouble. Yeah, you know, they're, they're a team that at the beginning of the season, you looked at them on paper, and you thought they were going to be better than you really saw with the eye test this year. Uh, some guys didn't produce. I think not having David Ortiz in the middle of the lineup, uh, Heard a really lot. that power hitter to just anchor the lineup. Uh, they didn't have, Mookie Betts didn't hit for as much power as he did the year before. He, he was a lot worse compared comparatively. Um, but the team for me is the Minnesota Twins. You know, they made the playoffs this year. They slide in, play the Yankees. They lose in the wild card game. But the lineup was great this year. I, I can't go against that. Uh, 34 home runs from Brian Do- Dozier. And then Miguel Sano with a great year. Eddie Rosario with another, uh, with, with, you know, a little breakout year. So, and, and they like what they've seen defensively and a little bit offensively from Byron Buxton and Max Kepler. So, those two guys, but you look at the rotation, and that's where they need the most help. Irvin Santana had a great year this year, 16-8 and record with a 3.28 ERA, and, and he pitched over 200 innings, which is exactly what you need out of an ace. But then after that, Kyle Gibson, 5.07 ERA. Jose Barrios was, was good, but at the same time, I don't know if he's really a two-starter, maybe more of a three-guy for me. And then after that, I mean, Bartolo Colon, like you, you, there's no one there. Uh, they need to get some starters in the offseason. And then you look at the bullpen. They have glaring need there. They they traded Brandon Kinsler. I don't know why they did that. They were a team in contention for the playoffs. I understand that the Nats probably gave them something. But at the same time, they they don't have great relievers. I mean, there's no there's no guys up and down this list that really scare me. So the, the Twins, you know, they had a great year, great bounce back year after only winning, what, 60 games in 2016. Uh but they, they got a lot of glaring needs, and I think, you know, if they can put some money together, they can make this rotation, this bullpen, a lot better and pair it with, you know, arguably one of the best lineups in the American League. Yeah, I think that the Twins just weren't prepared to be in contention this year. Um, they were honestly, I feel like they were looking for not even, looking at not even next season, but the season after, um, which is just crazy to think about that how they were all of a sudden so good because of that offense. But they were looking at, you know, at that big free agency class after next season, you know, maybe signing a big picture there and kind of jumping into the conversation um, with the Astros, you know, getting a little older with some of their stars leaving because um, it's kind of tough to compete in that AL West right now. 
um, with how good the Astros are. It'd be like you know the Phillies trying to contend next year. Um, I don't think they're ready. I don't think. Um, that hey, unless we spend like six hundred million dollars. But that, what's, that's what I'm saying. You're probably looking at after next year, right? Because you know you got that big free agent class. The Nets have. But a bunch I also of, wouldn't be surprised if they spend a little bit of money this offseason get a guy. You know, before the Cubs were ready for contention, they went out and got Lester. Mm-hmm. They got some of these guys that they knew down the line were going to help them win a World Series. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Phillies spent some money this offseason. But they're definitely going to save that big paycheck for either Harper or Machado. Exactly. One of those guys. So that's what I think the Twins were targeting. Um, they're they're going to struggle with the pitching staff. Obviously, Kinsler was a free agent after this year anyway. Um, Matt Belisle, who took over as closer after Kinsler left, he's gone. Um, they're going to need a reliever to Wade Davis and Greg Holland are available. Um, Addison Reed as well. And maybe those are some guys that could give like three or four year deals to. Um, to help lock down that ninth for them. And then beyond Santana and Jose Barrios, they really don't have a lot of answers at starting pitcher either. So you're right. I think that their pitching staff definitely is going to need a lot of work to do. Um, but I think, you know, they, they sign – maybe they sign you Darvish. Maybe they sign um, somebody to, you know, be that ace for them. They already gave Santana that kind of money. He got a big deal for them. Um, but he And he has two years left on it. So it looks like, honestly, his contract's going to be expiring before the Twins are really – you know, built to be a World Series contender because I like while they were a playoff contender this year. Sure, I do not think they were a World Series contender. They weren't. They they didn't stack up against the Yankees. They didn't stack up against well against the Astros and the Indians. You know, they weren't in that same league. Um, but I think down the line they certainly can be, especially with this offense. I mean, Joe Mauer probably is going to be out of the picture by then. He'll in two years will be thirty six. Um, Brian Doge will be thirty two. You'll be hoping to get what you're getting out of him now by then, but, you know, you never know. But there'll be guys like Miguel Sano's 24, Byron Buxton's 23, Max Kepler's 24. You know, those three guys can be a core for your offense. I think, you know, you play free agency right and you sign some guys. This can be a good team in a few years, but you're right. I don't think that next year is going to be the year for them. They squeaked in the playoffs barely, um, and there are some other up-and-coming teams, um, particularly in the AL East, that I think that will be, you know, in contention um, for a few years. So, it'll be tough for the Twins to make it back. Yeah, you know, I mean, like you said, they have the young nu- nucleus, but I don't know if the Twins are the type of team to go out and give a guy a giant contract. Um, I know Irvin Santana gave him $80 million, which, which is a lot of money like for, for us, but yeah. for, for a big-time player, $80 million, it's not as much. Um, so, I mean, they have a, a good young nucleus, but they, they need to figure out that rotation. Irvin Santana definitely earned his money this year. Um, but after that, you know, Barrios, he's a nice piece for the future. But I don't think he's a top-of-the-line starter. I don't know your opinion on that. But um, this Twins team has the potential to be very exciting. But I think they're just going to have to spend some money, maybe a little more development in the minor leagues, get some more younger players up there. Uh, and, you know, I, I like what I've seen out of Byron Buxton, very exciting player. So the Twins, definitely a lot of work to do this offseason, but definitely have the potential to be – a mainstay in the American League for a while. Absolutely. Before we move on, I do want to say Barrios, I like a lot. I think, you know, there's a lot to uh, that's to come from him. You know, you look at starters in their first, like this was his first full season. He made 25 starts um, and pitched in 145 innings. So it was a kind of our first full look at him. He had a strikeout per nine of almost nine, which is pretty good for a young pitcher. Um, you know, obviously aces are getting upwards of 10, 11, 12, but you know, to start out at 8.6 for him was good. A home run per nine under one um, was also a big thing I look at. 
so he wasn't giving up the long ball. He was inducing some strikeouts. I think that you know this is an encouraging year for him. Honestly, I think he could develop into a front of the line starter. He's only 23 years old. Um, you look at what he's going to be doing when he's 26, 27. I mean, the sky's the limit for him, and I think that he's going to be a, as big a piece as anybody in that lineup will be down the line. But, you know, you're right. Beyond him, there's really not that much like love, and uh, the, the Twins certainly have a lot of work to do between now and next season. Our final uh, topic we wanted to talk about today um, was looking at, so we've looked at, you know, the World Series. We looked at hit players and what players are going to be looked at. We've looked at teams and what teams are going to be struggling to get back in it next year. Now I want to look at the league as a whole. Kevin, um, what do you think is the biggest rule change that MLB should implement over the offseason? So we've had this argument on the show multiple times. Uh, I, I don't like, I don't want them to make any changes. The only thing I want them to look at is, is the baseballs. There was something up with the baseballs this year. There's no way all these players are magically hitting more home runs. For for instance, you look at Mike Moustakis, who I was just looking at. Dude's never hit more than 22 home runs in a or never hit more than 30 home runs in a season. And hits 38 this year. There's there's something up with these players. Uh, they're all hitting more home runs. They need to look into the baseballs. Uh, I know Major League Baseball wouldn't be looking into something they already changed, and you get the point. But I, I don't think they I know they've discussed pitch clocks um, to speed up the game and they've also discussed a actual just strike zone that uh what'd you call it electronic strike mm-hmm. zone automated so I think those are just both garbage and I think the replay system could have some improvements but I I I think baseball is great the way it is right now I don't think by implementing a pitch clock or automated strike zone you're gonna attract people that don't like baseball. I think at the end of the day, you have your audience, and you're just risking losing your audience. So I think baseball is great the way it is right now. I really appreciate the game. I love watching it. Um, in my opinion, doesn't isn't trump every baseball like I, I don't speak for everyone, but I think that baseball is great the way it is, and I don't think they need to make any rule changes other than looking into the baseballs. Honestly, I, I mean, obviously they did whatever they did to baseballs on purpose, um, and these are different. The, the baseballs in the World Series were different than the baseballs in the regular season. And people were saying in the regular season that the baseballs that were being used were different from previous years. So it's obvious they've changed something, um, which I don't – honestly, I don't think that's a problem. Obviously, the league is trying to be more marketable, right? And if they want more home runs, they're, they're going to juice the baseballs. They're going to do whatever um, to make them fly a little bit more, you know, make them slicker, whatever it is. You know, I'm not really against them changing that. I just think they need to be transparent about it, be like, hey – this is we're announcing a new era of baseball. You know when they moved the mound back, when they raised it, uh, the live the dead ball era, all that kind of stuff. You know, the the league obviously is kind of hard to hide that kind of thing. You know, moving the mound, you're not going to be able to hide that. Um, but at the same time, it, it it would show. You know, I would respect the league a little bit more from trying to hide it and just they've just been denying, denying, denying. You know, the, the same balls, whatever. Um, it's clearly obvious that they're switching the baseballs. You, you just saw a picture of the two next to each other, and it was it was pretty fair that to say that they were different baseballs. But uh, yeah, like I like I said, I'd like to see them be transparent about it. Um, but as far as what I want them to change, um, I'm with Kevin. I don't think there's a whole lot that needs to they change. However, I do think that you know while I'm not the biggest fan of replay, I think that they need to be a little more open to what is reviewable. Um, I know my, my Nats got screwed by, um, a catcher interference call that couldn't be reviewed, um, which is just bogus. I think that, you know, 
if we have the camera angles to do it, why not? Why can't a team, you know, uh, it's the same thing with football. I don't understand why you can't appeal a penalty um, to the booth because, you know, there are some times where a ref just clearly misses it and there's nothing you can do about that. Um, but like for a baseball example is check swings. All right. I can't stand. Okay. That you can, that a catcher can appeal to the first or third base coach and say like, did he go? And if the guy rings him up, he rings him up. But a hitter can't, a hitter can't say like, if ump calls a case, you went, you know, he can't say like, can you ask the first or third base umpire? It's just it's which is just order of power there. The the guy behind home plate has more power than the guy down the line. But at the same time, I know, I know, I know yeah, no, the guy down the line definitely has a better view. I don't think I don't think that the home plate umpire should be able to call a, a check swing as a strike. If he if he like he can't go, you went. He's got a point to the first third base umpire because you don't have that vantage point. You don't you can't see that. Yeah, yeah, obviously you're right there, but you you don't have the angle that the first third base coach has. And I've seen so many times where. Hitters are getting rung up for having gone when they don't, and it's so easy to just call a ball and then point down the feet to the first third base umpire. You know, like why can't you do that? Yeah, I mean, I understand your argument. It's just, it's just how the umpiring works in Major League Baseball. The, well, you the can change the rules. Umpire. I've been saying what I want to change. This is, this is just because it's the way it works doesn't mean it can't change. I know, I know, I, and and that's that's the type of small changes that you know could change um, next season, but. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the guy just the umpires down the line have a better vantage point than the guy at home plate, um, and and I don't see a reason why the home plate umpire should should be the one calling if he doesn't have the best angle. So that makes sense to me. But um, I mean, it's just how it works, and I, I guess yeah, probably needs to change. Yeah, I, I I think stuff like that stuff and the essence of the game um, is what the league should be pointing like pointing their efforts toward more. I don't think this pace of play stuff is really all that important. You know, the the rule where they made it where you no longer have to pitch four balls in order for an intentional walk, I think that was honestly just dumb. I mean, like, why is, of all things you're worried about, is that, you know, primary concern where you're having to make a great rule change and stuff. It should be more of, you know, keeping the integrity of the game. I think if baseball were to market, obviously it's a, it's a, harder than the NBA to market the players, you know, because there's so many players on the field, so many guys that contribute on a daily basis, you know, your all, your all-star could go 0 for 4, and you really don't get to see much out of them, but in a basketball game, you're going to see them running around the field, in an NFL game, you're going to see them running down the field, like, no, even if they're struggling, you're going to see them on the court, on the field, or whatever. Um, with baseball, you know, they might not make it out of the batter's box to go 0 for 4, 4 Ks, and that's all you're going to see. Um, so, with them, I think they need to market the games. I think what they need to say is like, you know, yes, our games are three hours long, but you know, make a make a day out of it. Go to the bar ballpark, you know, bring the family. This is this is something, you know, you, you, you take off work to do. You have like this whole event. It's a spec you can go to downtown. They need to advertise, you know, the stuff around um, the ballparks. Make it an experience. You, you know, they want more people to watch the game, you know. What are you doing while you're watching the game? Because with football, with basketball, you got to be paying attention the whole time. Market how you can have a baseball game on, but have a meeting, or have a baseball game on, have dinner. You know, they need to market the games themselves a little bit more. I think they're so worried about people not watching them that they're not just promoting them in general. Because if, if the more you promote the games, you know, the more eyes you're going to get on those games themselves, and that's that's what cap, that's what captures an audience. So I don't think that this pace of play thing is really the root of the issue. That the, the fact that like oh our games are longer than ever good that's more time for eyes to get on these games 
that's not something you should be worried about. You should be worried about getting people to watch it in the first place. And th- that marketing strategy, I think, is what could save, you know, with all the young, guy, young fans not watching as opposed to their older audience. That's how you capture that young audience. Yeah, it's interesting because when you really look at the other leagues, uh, the NFL, for instance, is very team-based. They market their teams. Uh, there's very strong brands there with their teams. Whereas you look at the NBA, uh, they market their players more, very strong. You know, everyone knows who LeBron James is, Kevin Durant, those guys. And whereas I don't know what Major League Baseball is, is quite going. I don't know if they, they try to market their players, their teams. I think they're kind of caught in the middle. And I feel like they need to pick a side because if, if – I think there's a lot of players, like, for instance, if, if the NBA really wanted to market Mike Trout, they could, and they, they make a lot out of it. Or they could do the counter of that and really market, like, the Cubs, who have a lot of big-name players, uh, very flashy, nice play, like Javier Baez, great great team guy, great team to for, the, for Major League Baseball to market. So I don't know what side of Major League Baseball is on, on this marketing scheme, um, but the NFL and NBA are... are they're working on what they do. So I think Major League Baseball really needs to work on their, their marketing a little bit more and get fans that aren't quite baseball fans to watch the game. And I, it's not an easy task. Um, so I, I can't really speak on how they should do it, but uh, they need to get the people that are watching the NBA as just, you know, like you said, like families sitting at the dinner table just have a basketball game on. That needs to be a baseball game. And then they figure out how to make that a baseball game. So uh, definitely interesting and I don't, I don't know if the rule changes will help or hurt, but uh, we'll definitely see. Yeah. Well, that's going to wrap us up for today. And that's wrapping us up for the regular season. We are coming to a close on season one of the Visitors Bullpen Podcast. We'll now be switching over from regular season talk to off-season talk. So we'll do some stuff recapping. Um, these past few se- this past season um, over the next few weeks, but after about a month or so, we're really gonna you know with the winter meetings coming up and everything, we're really gonna be looking forward a lot more. So next podcast we'll be talking you know you know besides the World Series, obviously, what are our biggest takeaways from this year, um, and after that we'll be moving forward with you know future storylines. So want to thank you all for joining us. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Visitors Bullpen uh, at Kevin. What is your Twitter handle now? You've changed it so many times. K Haswell Sports. K Haswell um, Sports. I'm Matt Talk Sports. We also are a member of the Pure Sports Network. Uh, founded by me and Matt, actually. Yes, so. we are the founders, and we are kicking off our blog January 1st um, with coverage of NFL, MLB, NHL, NBA, college football, and college basketball. So a whole ton of content is going to be coming at you. So follow us on Twitter there at Pure Sports Net. Um, and yeah, we got some great content going up over the last couple of days. We're really starting to get active on there. So we would appreciate some follows. Um, we're going to have some, some cool stats, uh, some final scores, some breaking news. So definitely go give Pure Sports Network a follow on Twitter. Um, and, th- and thanks for listening to this, this week's episode. Yeah, thank you all for joining us, and we hope you have a good one.